0: Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big time defensive play. No holds barred. I paid the fool. It's the Fizz 5. Five. Five. Five.
1: Five. Welcome back to another edition of Fizz 5. Carter Bainbridge and Cam is there with you this time to wrap up the month of October and Cam, it is officially crossover season. SU football is still doing its thing, but now we have a little bit more substance when it comes to Jim Bayheim squad. The men's basketball team officially back in action, not for the regular season, but we have an exhibition game to talk about. We have another exhibition game coming up on Tuesday. So now we have kind of a big two, if you will, back in action for Syracuse at the same time. And that little brief window in the fall but uh, how are you feeling as we trudge on towards another winter here in central
0: New York feeling great I mean Syracuse football not just doing its thing it's literally doing its thing right six and one looking pretty good going into Notre Dame I know we're going to be talking a lot about the orange and and the Irish on a little tune-up to Halloween and then see what Syracuse can do in the month of November as we saw last season that wasn't successful so maybe you know, right in the ship this season, but yeah, with Syracuse basketball, I know that it's exhibition play. I just put up an article on the orange and many might be saying, Oh, it's exhibition. Let's stop dissecting this team before an actual record counts. But Hey, this is a team with six freshmen, one transfer. I just love the storylines. I think it works out for the two of us works out for all the, uh, everyone on the fizz staff and then the, the fizz community as well. You get to enjoy a lot of content for two teams that really bolster a lot of content
1: and we know a lot about the football team by now but as you said there are a lot of unknowns with that men's basketball team and we'll get into all that today on fizz five so let's start out with topic number one number one all right first topic today cam concerns the upcoming football game as you alluded to in the introduction syracuse welcomes notre dame to the hill for the first time since 2003 I know some people thought they had come to town later than that, but there have been a couple neutral site games played in MetLife Stadium and different places around the Northeast. First trip to the Dome since 2003. So a rare trip for the Irish. And we're talking some preview and predictions for this game, Cam. Notre Dame, not off to its best start this year, especially compared to what the program usually does. The Irish only four and three under head coach Marcus Freeman. A couple pretty unimpressive losses against unranked teams like Marshall and Stanford and not a lot of impressive games against any other team that Notre Dame has played so far this year. Meanwhile, SU coming off that stinging loss to Clemson down in Death Valley. All of our Fizz writers picked Syracuse to beat Notre Dame. It was unanimous across the board in our crystal ball article that came out within the last 24 hours. So, Cam, I know that you picked SU to beat Notre Dame in this matchup, but give me
0: your thoughts on this matchup. I had it as a thrashing, too. I, I I commented on it being very parallel to the Louisville game, where you entered Louisville thinking, okay, the Cardinals, they've had the oranges number, and there's no way that Syracuse can do it. Then they did, and that's the only convincing win if you obviously take out UConn and Wagner. Virginia and Purdue were a lot like Clemson. The only difference was... Well, they didn't blow it at the end, right? They found a way to win. And I know the I, I would the reason I don't comment a lot on that NC State game, it's a huge win for Syracuse, but it had so many variables to it that I look at that Louisville game and say that was the most convincing. When I what that was the best version of Syracuse I had seen up to that fourth quarter against Purdue. Yeah, you're going, you're playing a Notre Dame team and you're doing it at home. And, and ironically enough. As much as Syracuse is unbelievable at home, Notre Dame's actually better on the road. You beat a ranked BYU team in Vegas. The the times that you lost to Stanford and Marshall, you're at home. I mean, you play Ohio State really, really tough in that first game. Only give up 21 points to a Buckeyes team that is unbelievable. They score over 40 points per game. And you're right. Notre Dame has not looked impressive. Marcus Freeman was a one-year defensive coordinator. All of a sudden, he's the head coach of a program less than 12 months into his tenure with the school, just as a coordinator. Uh, I think that as much as Marcus Freeman is is struggling, finding his bearings as a coach, it's not like he's given a wealth of riches as Brian Kelly was, which let Notre Dame win 10-plus games in the last five seasons. Notre Dame doesn't really have a star wide receiver or wide receiver in general that can carry the load of having a backup quarterback in Drew Pine who's been sitting behind a lot of pretty okay quarterbacks. I mean, you look at the past couple of years, Notre Dame hasn't had that guy at the quarterback position, even though they find themselves perennially ranked within the top 25 and at times within the top 10. To preview this game against Syracuse and Notre Dame, yes, you can check out our crystal ball predictions on theorangefizz.com, but I'll lay it out for you. Syracuse is unbelievable at home. They haven't lost in the Dome this season. Fortunately for them, they have seven games in the Dome and they have five games away. So that's a positive for SU. Notre Dame, they're pretty good on the road, but where I think that Syracuse has the leg up, and I said 31 to 13, if I'm not mistaken, they have an extreme leg up, they match up perfectly with Notre Dame, an Irish offense that can't really do much with back backup quarterback and not a lot of weapons, they, they get it done in the trenches with that offensive line, but that's really the only offensive category that Notre Dame wins over Syracuse. The defense for SU is unbelievable. You force four turnovers over uh, against Clemson. You're top in the ACC in pretty much every defensive statistical category, top 15, top 10 in the country against a Notre Dame offense that has to deal with the crowd and deal with adversity being four and three. You flip the script, Syracuse's offense didn't score in the second half, but they pummeled Clemson in the first half, so, uh, I think that Syracuse is going to come out with a chip on its shoulder, knowing that the offense lost them the game. While Notre Dame's defense, they're middle of the pack in the nation in rushing yards allowed per game, their passing offense is a lot better. So I suspect Garrett Schrader runs just as much as he did against Clemson, maybe a little less, Defers some of that responsibility to Sean Tucker, who Dino Baber said in his, uh, his getting ready for Notre Dame week press conference, that it was inexcusable that Sean Tucker ran the ball five times. So I just love how Syracuse matches up with Notre Dame and how it fits the bill of Garrett Schrader is going to run. When he wants to, and he'll be allowed to because of this poor rush defense. And I think this is a big game for Sean Tucker. I think it stays close, but a lot like the Louisville game toward the end of it, Syracuse blows out Notre Dame and proves that this Irish team is two, three, four years away from, uh, you know, from being anything under Marcus Freeman.
1: Yeah, it is a Notre Dame team that has some problems. Drew Pine's numbers at quarterback are solid-looking, 12 touchdowns, three interceptions, but he's not aggressive with the ball, only 7.4 yards per attempt, which is, I'll say this, it's nearly identical to what Tommy DeVito did last year. Remember how he played? He wasn't setting the world alight. So this Notre Dame team is not great at running the ball, it's average. Its quarterback has some pretty numbers, but doesn't really push the ball down the field. And it's a team that's dealing with some injuries on the defensive side. For example, Jack Kaiser is dealing with that deep bruise, they called it, in his thigh that he suffered in Notre Dame's last game. So I agree. Syracuse does match up pretty well with this Notre Dame squad. It's not your typical kind of talented bunch of golden domers like the one we saw in 2020 that just dismantled su in the season finale and one thing that i think is going to make a difference here is that like we said earlier in this discussion notre dame hasn't played in the dome since 2003 i mean that is a long time ago none of these players have ever done it and all the teams who have come up here so far left saying like Purdue in particular, and I think NC State as well, Dave Doran made some comments after that game about just how loud it was. It's just a different environment. And I think for a Notre Dame team that, like you said, held Ohio State in check on the road in Columbus, but also looked pathetic on offense and then gave up over 30 points at North Carolina. Those are your only true, two true road games for Notre Dame this season. I think this is just a different place to play. And I think there's a, there's a big factor for you to look at. Maybe a more talented Notre Dame team can rise above that and not really care and not be affected, but I'm not sure that this squad can do that. So I'm interested to see how these Fighting Irish deal with the crowd on Saturday. So as we move on, more Notre Dame for topic number two, but just a little bit different as we move on to our next segment on Fizz 5.
0: Number two.
1: Topic number two on this Fizz 5, still more Notre Dame talk to be had, considering the game is just a little bit ways away here on this upcoming weekend at the time of this recording. Syracuse and ND, obviously two teams that have some recent series history. It's been pretty lopsided. SU hasn't beaten Notre Dame since 2008, way back in Greg Robinson's final year as head coach on the Hill. There was we go. final victory that year, right?
0: Love it, little Which, shot out. I like it.
1: Back in the day. But you know, when you lay it all on the line, Cam, we just previewed the matchup, but let's get down to brass taxes.
0: Syracuse beats Notre Dame, in your opinion, Cam. If what? Ooh, good one. Uh and I, I, I many might say, how does this differentiate from a preview? Because we we didn't just preview the game, we we dove into the intricacies of it. So we could probably just pick one of those out, but no. Carter and I are not cherry pickers. We're not taking it from segment number one. One thing I do want to note with that little cool statistic that Syracuse hasn't beaten Notre Dame since 2008. In 2018, these two teams played at Yankee Stadium. Back in 2020, of course, the COVID year and all the, the mumbo-jumbo that happened, that was at Notre Dame. So I know that you've already mentioned the whole thing uh, about you know th- these two teams haven't played in the Dome since 2003. On top of that, it's worth noting that the Irish have had so much success, and they've hosted a lot of these games against Syracuse. But to go back to your previous question, Syracuse wins this game if the defense can neutralize Michael Mayer. And the reason I say that is you go back to the Purdue game, and this is this is going to kill me, Carter, because I had his name in my head. Before we got on this recording, and now I think you have to remind me, unless I look it up real quick, the Purdue tight end that absolutely crushed Syracuse. What was his name again? It's a really cool name, was Payne Durham. If I'm not mistaken, oh my god, the reason I I was uh, I was mixing it up is because I was thinking of the name Payne because it's such a cool name, but as the last name, and I was that that obviously screwed me up, but. Uh, Payne Durham crushed Syracuse, especially in that fourth quarter. I mean, as as a guy that would run any five-yard route, create his own space, because Syracuse likes to drop back in that zone, which opens up a lot of space within the line to gain up to the line of scrimmage, and... Payton Durham's big body would just rumble across the line when he makes that grab. It was some easy, easy routes that Purdue ran, which allowed them to keep Syracuse uh, neutralized in that, that first half because – It was five-yard, six-yard passes, which allowed this team to just keep the ball and just keep the ball and keep Syracuse's offense off the field. The reason I say Syracuse wins if the defense can neutralize Michael Mayer is Mayer just tied uh, tied the most touchdowns in Notre Dame football history. I mean, this guy's a bowling ball. This is a player that if Syracuse had the opportunity to mold their perfect tight end recruit, which, Carter, I mean, we know better than anyone, this team can't recruit tight ends and this team can't coach tight ends. But you're talking about 6'4", six, 6'4 four, six, four if we're getting into the details. 265, Michael Mayer is not just a blocker, and you might say 265, they'll use him as a blocker on the line. Because Notre Dame doesn't run the ball that much, Michael Mayer, he likes to get out in the secondary and bully uh, any DBs that are in his way, any linebackers. And a lot of the times you have to put a linebacker on him, like a Michael Jones, which takes pressure off of the opposing offensive line because you don't have Michael Michael Jones blitzing. So Michael Mayer, touchdown leader at Notre Dame, uh, this is the, the only source of their offense in the receptions category. In terms of touchdowns, it's much of the same. It's Michael Mayer, Michael Mayer, Michael Mayer. Drew Pine will be looking for Mayer. So if the defense can do what it didn't do against Payne Durham, the Purdue tight end that torched the orange down the stretch and just kept the ball moving, if you can keep Mayer neutralized, somehow find a way to limit him to five or six receptions for around 50 yards and he's not really a factor in the red zone, all of a sudden you're forcing Drew Pine to to make unbelievable throws to wide receivers that are young and don't have a lot of experience, especially in a loud environment like the Dome. So we're diving deep into it, Carter. I'm saying neutralize this one player. The defense can do that. I think the offense responds in a good way. You keep them to 13 points because Mayer isn't the X factor and Syracuse wins this ballgame. So Notre Dame's tight end who has caught six of Drew Pine's
1: 12 passing touchdowns this season. So half of what Notre Dame has through the air is your pick. I have something similar. I, I have a, this is kind of a two-pronged answer for me, because I have something for Syracuse's offense and the defense, and I'll get through them fairly quickly. But Syracuse beats Notre Dame if, A, the Orange play as well defensively against quarterback Drew Pine as they did against DJ Uyunglele and Clemson. That's your defensive criteria.
0: Quick, quick, uh, little clarification on that. Do you mean in, in the turnover department? Because a lot of Syracuse's successes came actually on Uyangalele mistakes. Yes. Basically, so if, they, if they can turn Pine, if they can make Pine look like what Drew Pine has has been. If if they can make Pine
1: uncomfortable and force him into the types of throws that Uyangalele was making in Clemson, I'll say because, granted, he didn't have to do a whole lot because Will Shipley just about ran the orange out of the stadium, but SU limited DJU to 13 for 21 with two picks. Pine, like I said, has only averaged, you know, just over seven yards per attempt, which, if you're not a big football stat person, it's not a great figure. It's it's below what Garrett Schrader has done this year, so if you think that Schrader hasn't been pushing the ball down the field, this guy's done it even less. You know, he hasn't wowed you this season. Pine hasn't. I, I know it's it's a difficult situation. He does have a lot of offensive skill talent around him. Um, I think if SU can make him throw the ball into uncomfortable spots, that'll play to the Orange's advantage, especially if they can get Garrett Williams, you know, fully healthy, Deuce Chestnut fully healthy after they both got dinged up against Clemson. And then for the Syracuse offense, my answer for this question, Syracuse beats Notre Dame if Syracuse can finally put together like a complete offensive performance. And what I mean by that is that we're still kind of waiting for the game in Robert and I's offense against an actual power five non softball opponent where his offense really just lays on the gas and, and keeps things going for extended stretches in the game. You can argue that that happened against Louisville, but it's been a hot minute Since his offense has had a game where it didn't go through a very prolonged cold stretch, excluding UConn and excluding Wagner, because you knew that all SU had to do was really just line up correctly and it would score some
0: points. That's not softball. That is that is, you know, they say that the joke with softballs is the fact that they're not soft at all. Uh, Wagner and UConn are softballs that are actually soft. So,
1: right. Yeah, exactly. Snowballs, maybe Um, something like that appropriate for the Syracuse winter we have coming up. (laughs) But SU has had stretches like that against Purdue, against UVA, against NC State, against Clemson, understandably against a pretty talented defense with with very good players, NFL picks up and down that defense. But SU has had those games where just like it just shuts down on offense for whatever reason, whether it's play calling, whether it's lack of adjustment which was the big problem against Clemson, I will say, if you were reading what we had on the fizz after that game, we talked quite a bit about that. Notre Dame's defense is solid statistically, but it has some injuries. I think this is a defense that Syracuse can put some dents in if it just keeps things going. Like I'm looking for SU's offense to put together two or three drives in a row where it looks good and puts up points. You know, put up 17 points in a row, you know, early on in a game, put the pressure on the opponent. I think that SU has a tendency to go hot and cold on offense. And I think to beat a team like Notre Dame in a game where a lot of people think it's going to be first to 20 wins, get off to a good start offensively, put together some points and, and make the Irish play from behind, which I think they will struggle to do. All right, that just about does it for football as we move on now to our men's basketball content of the day, neatly on to topic number three. Number three. Third topic of the day, Cam, we're shifting gears from football now to men's basketball and Jim Beheim squad back in action after a long late spring and summer without postseason play. SU bowed out in the ACC tournament for its finale last season. 16-17 and record, the first losing season for Jim Beheim in his Syracuse career. So some interesting questions coming into this season. A lot of things on the line, a lot of new players, a lot of unknowns. But SU just played Indiana University of Pennsylvania on the 25th of this month in the first exhibition game of the season. Another one coming up on Tuesday before we get into regular season play, but – any University of Pennsylvania, obviously a good program, a level below the orange. But I'm interested to know, Cam, what your thoughts were coming out of that IUP exhibition that SU ended up winning after some struggle.
0: Yeah, 86 to 68 after trailing 33 to 32 at the half. If you've checked out any of my articles on TheOrangeFizz.com, you'll realize that I'm a big basketball head. Love the game. I love when Syracuse basketball rolls around because this school gets excited for it. The fans get excited for it. The community much of the same because Jim Boeheim has been doing it for a while. And there are a lot of fans that have stuck by his side for you know, the 47 years that he's now been at the helm. First off, I want to throw a, a theory out, a theory that exhibition games don't matter. I understand IUP is a D2 team. Same with Southern New Hampshire University. That game coming up next Tuesday. Totally understand it. Now, IUP in the last four seasons, 93-9 and nine in the D2 ranks. One of the best Division II teams ever. I mean, not just in the past four seasons, but this team made it to the final four of the Division two uh, ranks last year. And, and I understand it's Division two, right? But Syracuse last year lost to a Georgetown team, that one, did they win a conference game? I mean, I'm pretty sure Georgetown finished like three and 20 something.
1: If I remember correctly, SU was Georgetown's only power five win.
0: Right, so so the myth and the theory that exhibition games don't matter, and I understand they don't matter for record sakes and heading into conference play and tournament time, but in terms of momentum and camaraderie and the ability to mesh and develop an offense and a defensive scheme, they matter. Practices matter, right? having If you attended a Syracuse practice and in the middle of it, everyone just starts cursing out each other, it's not like they can play a game two days later and play well. Drama carries, momentum carries. These exhibition games, although a lot of them are glorified practices, they matter. So I I just want to throw that theory out of the window because IUP played a really good game. I mean, they played a really, really good game. Unfortunately for them, the second half didn't pan out as much as the first half did. And and maybe it's because Syracuse started making shots and realizing how athletic they were. But I learned a lot from that exhibition game. I learned a lot about the defense, as Jim Beheim said, playing man-to-man and zone. I just posted an article about Judah Mintz on theorangefizz.com. Learned a lot about Judah Mintz running the one. Uh, I learned that Joe Girard needs to stay at the two And when he tries to take matters into his hands and play the one and the two and pass it off to Judah Mintz when he feels necessary, then that doesn't work. But when Judah takes it up a majority of the times and he can control the offense, then Syracuse all of a sudden is a together team rather than just uh, individual three, four, five stars. So learned a lot from that game. My biggest takeaway on the defensive side is – As much as I'd love this team to switch back and forth, you're dealing with guys acclimating with each other. It's different if you had seniors, grad students, juniors that have played with each other. I'd rather this team mesh in one defensive scheme than try to adjust too much. Because in that first half, They tried to go in from man to man to zone, a majority of it, man to man. It just didn't work out. The communication wasn't there. Now with zone in the second half or uh, the last 15, 10, 15 minutes of the second half where Syracuse ran away with it, the zone looked really good. It seemed that the athleticism of these guys uh, shined a bit more than it did in man to man, which is odd. But a lot of the times that happens when you get to the collegiate game because you get antsy, you know, you're going up against more experienced players that IUP has, even though they play in division two. So on the defensive side, stick with one. As much as I'd love for this team to make adjustments, they can't go man-to-man one game, zone the next, switch off. Uh, I, I used to do drills back in high school, and of course this has you know nothing to do with the college ranks, where after three passes, for in zone defense, you switch to man-to-man. I just don't think this team can do it with how good uh, the, the ACC is. Maybe you can switch around in non-conference, but what I learned from that IUP exhibition game, when you head into conference play, pick one. Be successful at it, because that what led to the Orange's demise last season. Individually, Benny Williams looked slow. He looked lethargic in the first half. I thought he looked okay in the second half. Uh, I love his, his energy and what he brings to the team but everyone is lotting his double-double in his stats. Uh, you're playing Munir Hima and John Bola Jock in the same game. Of course, he's going to jump up and get rebounds. So learned a lot about that backcourt, not much about the front court. I just want to throw out the theory that these exhibition games don't matter because I actually learned a lot uh, from this team.
1: I think simplification is, is a big deal for this year's team because – SU this season is always going to cede experience to whoever they play. It's practically the youngest team in the ACC, if not statistically being the youngest. I haven't seen data on that, but I would maybe put a small wager of money that by average age, SU probably fits that bill. You're going to have to play a couple different freshmen here. And I think – you know, picking between a defense is, is obviously pretty important. Of course, man-to-man is not the Orange's forte. The old tale that always gets floated around here on the hill, and it changes every time you hear it every year, is that SU at some point in the middle of the decade went over to Europe and played some Italian team and got blasted so badly, and man-to-man they never tried it again. I don't know who told me that story, but I've always thought it was pretty amusing. Uh, and never have I gone back to check if that's true, but in any event... Uh su played a not brilliant half against a good IUP team trying man to man. And I think we're going to see less of that as the season goes along. You know, Jim Beheim always teases a little bit of it at some point and then just plays zone. So I haven't put too much stock in that. But what I think is there's some evidence of is that the jury is still very much out for this team to see who the main contributors are going to be past Joe Girard and past Jesse Edwards. You know what those two guys are going to do. Maybe a little bit less for Girard because his role has shifted a little bit from point guard who scores a little bit to shooting guard who has to really pick up a lot of the slack. There's a little bit of a change there, but at the same time, Syracuse in this game had 10 different guys who scored a point and eight different guys who played at least 10 minutes. And I think there, you know, that suggests that Jim Beheim obviously knows his team quite well and probably has a good idea as to who's going to play and who's going to start most against Lehigh on November 7th. But I think he's still gauging what a lot of these guys can do in game settings. I mean, for example, take Chris Bell, who got the start in that game, only played 13 minutes because he had such a rough day shooting, one for nine from the field. Um, you got a mixed bag from, from a lot of these players. So there are question marks about contributors. And then for me, I don't know where the three, the threes are coming from on this team because Justin the last,
0: co- the, the last
1: couple of years, listen, we we've watched Syracuse basketball, right? We came in and Elijah Hughes was that guy, right? Future, future NBA draft pick. He was the big shooter on the team. And when he left, the question entering the season without him was, who's going to be the shooter? Who's going to provide the points from deep? Buddy Bayheim then shifted into that role for two seasons. So he made that question go away, but now he's gone. And you don't really know where that's going to come from. And you trust Joe Girard to really put up 20 points a game or take all those threes? I don't know. I'm not well, sure if I do.
0: I'm telling you, Justin Taylor should get more of a role on this team because he is more of a pure shooter than chris bell all right interested to
1: hear that that opinion justin taylor in the iup scrimmage 18 minutes one for two from three point range only three shots from the field on the day but evidently cam you liked what you saw but that is a good segue speaking of liking what we've seen from players on the basketball team in a topic number four
0: number four
1: All right, topic number four, we're sticking with the men's basketball scrimmage against Indiana University of Pennsylvania, but we're not just talking about basic thoughts or predictions or anything else. We're tightening the lens a little bit and zooming in on some performances from that game, Cam. I have to ask, who impressed the most against IUP?
0: For me, it's Judah Mintz. Uh, In that first half, he looked okay. I think the the one thing on mints that he has to get a lot better at, maybe this is just adjusting to the college game is kicking out his legs when he takes a shot. I mean, I don't know what that's all about, but he was, you know, he was happy feet in the air. Uh, got called a few times. think he got a technical for flopping or, or, a, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It just, I, Judah Mintz is the motor that makes this team go I just wrote an article about it on the saying that Judah Mintz is the seesaw to a winning and a losing season because what I saw out of that team in the first half is if Joe Girard chooses to take the the ball up into the front court for even 50% of the time is offense it's not controlled. Guys aren't setting clear screens. They're not completing their motions in whatever offensive scheme that Jim Bayheim is running in that particular uh, uh, in that particular possession. It just seemed that Joe Gerard would dribble it up. He'd take a screen, but he'd stay outside the perimeter and he'd launch up a shot and that, that's pretty much it. So Judah Mintz proved a lot to me in that second half. He scored 10 points. He can shoot the three ball. He can space out the floor, control the offense. I compare Judah Mintz to Tyler Ennis. And now Ennis was able to control the offense and space the floor. Now, of course, Judah has to prove himself. But remember Ennis? He Back in 2013-2014, he only played one season, was a first-team All-ACC member, second-team All-American. So I saw a lot of good things out of Judah Mintz in that second half because it seemed that Joe Girard finally trusted him to control the motions in the backcourt. So loved, absolutely loved what I saw out of Judah Mintz, and I think he'll meet expectations.
1: The expectations are high for, for Mintz. One of the late additions to the class who is highly touted in the class of 2022 and i think that i would have agreed with that I, and i do agree with it i should say uh mince was my pick for this question as well you know he impressed on the stat sheet if that's all you're depending on you know six for 13 from the field for 14 points pretty good day you know not bad efficiency you know there are some things to, to clean up in his game from some mistakes that he made between you know, not feeding Edwards down low and taking a shot himself that he then missed. And you talked about the kicking thing, which I'm not sure if that's just a a habit or if he's trying to draw a foul, but obviously he's not going to get away with that or getting teed up for flopping, which is better to happen now than against North Carolina in, you know, January, February. Right. But I think, you know, there's some good and bad there for Mintz. And he obviously had a good debut adjusting to the one now learning a little bit that he can't just do it all himself and get away with some of the stuff he did in high school. But I want to lob another name out there who I liked watching him play in this game. That's Kadir Copeland. I thought that he brought some interesting stuff to the table, impressed a little bit with, you know, the versatility that his game may bring because he has the size at six foot six to play the three, play some small forward, but his, skill by trade and the thing that earned him high rankings was ball handling so he gives you that skill set that a guard could but he also is tall enough to give you some more options and and Beheim said he i don't remember his exact quote but he seemed pleased with the fact that he could play copeland at the three Copeland, I think, had some quotes to Syracuse.com where he said that he was happy to do it, happy to help the team and whatnot. And <clears throat> obviously you're happy to see that because Syracuse is feeling out where it's supposed to play these guys. But Copeland in the game didn't have an enormous stat line. He played 17 minutes, two for four from the field, missed a couple threes, a rebound, two assists, and five points. So a mixed bag, of course, like you said, scrimmages matter, but there's only so much they can tell you. I think he's a player to keep your eye on throughout the year because SU does have some questions at forward. It has different guys that can play, from Benny Williams to Justin Taylor to Chris Bell, and now Copeland as well, who can play guard if you really wanted to put some size out there for guard, but you can also put him at the small forward position. So there's some interesting things that he brings that I liked in that game, and for me, he's a guy I want to keep my eye on looking forward.
0: To, for me, he's a bit too much like Simir Torrance, where I feel like Torrance will get the nod over him. His shot isn't that pretty, and it doesn't mean it doesn't go in, but it's not that pretty. I think he relies too much on creating space on his step back rather than creating his own shot off the dribble where he can create separation with his defender. Love the Energizer Bunny mentality of Copeland, though. Um, one of my friends actually was at the game, and he asked uh, Judah Mintz, What'd you think of Copeland? how do you think he played? And, and what he said is many thought, you know, Kadir would redshirt because you have so many guards. You don't think you can put him at the three because can he, can, does he fit the mold of a, a guard slash forward in that three role more than a Benny Williams or a Chris Bell or a Justin Taylor or whoever you slot in that position. And, and yeah, Kadir proved a lot. I just, if he can't shoot, Right. If Judah Mintz can't penetrate and kick it out to him and he can't make the shot, then all of a sudden I think his role diminishes. But, yeah, no, I love the energy that he brought.
1: For sure. And, and there's a lot to watch with all these freshmen as they begin to play and play more. We'll see how that rolls out as the season goes along, because SU success will hinge on how these freshmen play. And that neatly takes us on to our final topic of the day. Number five. All right, Cam, it's time for our fifth and final topic on this Fizz 5. And this is an interesting one that I ran by you before we hopped on here to record. And you said, all systems go. Let's let's run with it and see what we come up with for this question. You seem to have an answer in mind. And that is that Jim Beheim before the season, before the exhibition against IUP, said rather explicitly and in a rather out-of-character fashion, that this was a tournament-level team. Not really something you would expect from old Jim, but based on your impressions, Cam, of the players or the rest of the ACC, could work in tandem. Your thoughts on the conference. Do you think that that is true, it's false, or will be
0: false, or that it's too early to tell that SU will be a tournament team this year? It's true. Last year, Syracuse was a 16 and 17 team. And a lot of the buzz with it was that they were the best 16 and 17 team in the nation. If you want to relate it to to last year, you lose the game to Colgate, then you have to go to the battle for Atlantis. And you have to play VCU Arizona State in Auburn. Remember Auburn at one point then became the top team in the country. Then you come back, you have to play Indiana at home in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, not to mention you got matchups with old biggies foes like Villanova and Georgetown. Then you got to go to the ACC with a lot of guys that can bring experience, but again, might not have meshed together in the first month and a half of the season enough to produce results in January, February and even early March and that's what occurred last season so to throw out any of the hate that this team relates a lot to last season's team but just a bit younger, I just want to throw that out, but I will say you look at this schedule, it's not that bad, the non conference not that good. Lehigh, Colgate. I know they lost to Colgate last year, but Colgate, Northeastern, your Empire State Classic, the opponents of Richmond. I know Richmond was a tournament team, but Richmond and maybe St. John's, Like those aren't tough opponents. Then you play Bryant. Uh, it's going to be really tough to beat Illinois on the road. I'll tell you that. But then Oakland, I mean, Notre Dame is going to be a tough one early on and that'll be a litmus test. Uh, in non-conference play with a little ACC uh, dabbled in there to see how Syracuse can pro- progress toward conference play come early January or I think it's December 30th because they play Boston College. But the non-conference isn't too bad. And then the, the preseason rankings for the ACC just came out or came out early, early or late last week. And from the teams 11 through 15, Syracuse plays all five of those teams on the road they don't play North Carolina or Duke on the road and that's number one and two in the preseason ACC polls which bodes well because SU I think their record on the road in the last two seasons is like five and 17 or something like that. SU does not play well on the road and and Carter I know that you you just gave me a look of like really yeah last year I think Syracuse and this is this is um, uh, mostly in the ACC of course but last year I think Syracuse was three and eight on the road the season before then, I don't think they were that good. I think they only won two games. Um, of course, you can fact check me on that. But uh, Syracuse is a much better home team, so they're playing really good competition at home. They're playing the lesser competition on the road. So I think the schedule works out really well for SU. I love this team's athleticism. I love this team's ability to uh, to you know, turn on the the turbos and really get going. I think Joe Girard needs to average at least 20 points per game for Syracuse to be in any ballpark of being a tournament level team. But I like Judah Mintz. I think Benny Williams has a, you know, takes a step up. And as long as Jesse Edwards stays healthy, I think that the shooting will will materialize around them. So, yes, Syracuse is a tournament team. So you think
1: even with an easier schedule, SU still makes it despite how much production it's now missing
0: from last year? I don't, think it, I, I don't think it's missing that much from last year. Of course, you lose Buddy Bayheim Joe Girard will have to move into that role, and then Judah Mintz can play the one. He's a better point guard than what Joe Girard was at the one. You lose Cole Swider. I don't think that Justin Taylor and Chris Bell will be completely immobilized uh, from beyond the arc a majority of the season. I think they'll find their stride. Again, we've only seen them in one exhibition game. You have Jesse Edwards, who supposedly is healthy. So, I don't. I mean, Jimmy Boeheim's gone. But Jimmy Boeheim looked great at the end of the season, beginning of the season. He kind of looked like a fish out of water in a better conference than he had at Cornell. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think you've lost that much production. I just don't think that you've seen the, – the proof is not in the pudding yet. So, I think that's why you say they've lost a lot of production. You have an easier schedule. There's only three ranked teams in the ACC, right? Virginia, Duke, and North Carolina – so, yeah, I think that the, the, the schedule uh, will help Syracuse, and I think their athleticism finds them in the tournament. I do. I, like, I, I really believe that. I mean, it's borderline. We haven't seen a lot of this team. But, yeah, I, I think this team's a tournament team. I
1: can't say the same with the same degree of confidence. We both thought last year's team would be better if you go back and look at the Fizz article that predicted the record for the season. Your prediction was better than mine. I thought it was going to be more of the same from the previous season, but they ended up being worse than that. For me, I just can't. There's too many things we don't know about this team. Even even when it's time to say all shucks and make a funny prediction for what's going to happen in March, there's a lot of time between now and then. And and we can't play this game talking about injuries. If we talk about Syracuse going through the season virtually injury-free, it's still impossible to say because – we don't know enough about the, the game of all these freshmen and how it's going to translate to the collegiate level. We just can't. I mean, you, you can take a look and look at the IUP stuff and look at some high school tape and make your assessment. But I just don't know because Syracuse is leaning on the contributions of guys who just haven't done it. Um, Benny Williams' struggles last year, and I know that he is his own player and he is an independent individual and that not all these freshmen are like him but his problems last year as a first year player make me nervous that someone is going to struggle the same way and I just don't know if SU can afford that so I have to see Syracuse play more games and prove it that that it can be a competent team in the ACC it's impossible to tell right now for me I just can't I'm not a big guy not a big anoint anyone as something person after just a little bit so i say i'm not sure with the amount of youth hard to say what the identity of this team is you know it played every single rostered scholarship player against iup in the first half and and started the game in man-to-man defense i mean how much do we even know about what this team is going to be i I don't know
0: for sure but whatever whatever you have can any rebuttal to that Let's throw your youth point out the window, and I understand that Duke and Carolina recruit the best of the best and the top players, but Duke, a couple years ago, had five freshmen starting, just as Syracuse has with a couple freshmen starting, and I know that it's the top players in the class. Judah Mintz, 33rd in ESPN's top 100 rankings. I mean, Justin Taylor was within the top 100. Chris Bell was a borderline five-star. So if you're having questions about youth then you and remember only two freshmen will most likely start that that first game in Chris Bell and Judah Mintz if everything rolls out as we expect so to throw out the youth point Carolina Duke they do it every year and they find their way in the tournament but yes okay in terms of identity I'll agree with you but I, I'm here for a prediction I'm here to say yes
1: I'm here to say that we don't know. I don't know, I should say, because I can't speak for anyone else, but that is my answer. It's too early to tell. I'll take the option C for this question. All right, that is all we have on Fizz 5 this time. This has been Carter Bainbridge along with Kim Izair. Fizz 5 is a weekly show on TheOrangeFizz.com, and you can catch the next edition next week with a couple other of our talented writers when they take to the airwaves. Keep up on SoundCloud and on TheOrangeFizz.com for audio and written content throughout the SU Sports Universe. But for now, again, this has been Carter Bainbridge along with Cam Azair signing off for Fizz 5. We'll see you next time.
0: And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.